This episode is sponsored by Fire and Fuel Coaching, where I help you discover who you are and where you want to go, both on and off the job. For more information, please reach out to me at my Instagram handle at Jerry Fire and Fuel. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Enduring the Badge Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Dean Lund, and I don't want you to miss an upcoming episode, so please hit that subscribe button. And while your phone's out, please do me a favor and give us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It says, hey, this podcast has a great message, and we should send it out to more people. So please take that 30 seconds to a minute to do that review, and just maybe by doing that, it'll push this up into someone's podcast feed that really needs this message. Everyone, I'm super excited to announce that I've teamed up with an incredible person, and that person is Dr. Tia White. She is a public safety, wellness, and empowerment specialist. Together, we have combined our knowledge and expertise to create a five-day training course. Now, that training course, you can attend different days of that training course, whichever ones fit you, but day one would be peer support and how to structure that and get your team up and running and maybe some of the legalities about that. Days two, three, and four are going to be about advanced wellness and sleep and finances and family dynamics and diet and nutrition. Complete first responder for more details. My very special guest today is Eric Tung. Eric is a law enforcement officer and he brings a lot of great things to the law enforcement community. I found Eric on social media from his positive content that he was putting out. And I really enjoyed watching that. I loved watching an officer put out this positive content that makes an impact in other people's lives. In this conversation with Eric, we talk about why he got into creating the positive content on social media, a little bit about his career and what it meant to him and being in these different phases of his career and the different challenges that it brought up. Eric was also involved in an officer involved shooting And we're going to talk about that and how a little bit how that went down and how it looks to be in a shooting and the after effects of that and the role of peer support with him and his department. Eric is an incredible mentor, I think, to other officers and a great face to law enforcement. And let's jump right into this episode with Eric so we can learn all about him and what he's doing in the world. How are you doing, Eric? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Eric, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, so I am a sergeant currently in the state of Washington. I've been in police work for uh, going on 16 years. It feels, I mean, sometimes it feels (laughs) like five and sometimes it feels like 20. Um, But currently I am supervising our hiring recruiting units and then I'm kind of double tapped as the training sergeant. Um, Our agency is roughly 100 66 um if fully staffed which we're actually strangely and rarely uh because of the efforts of my team like we're almost there wow Just hovering in a couple vacancies yeah so um so that's fantastic um but still you know most of the people are in the training pipeline and all that so operations right. not totally up and anyone in first responder work knows that i mean we're all pulling double duty in some way or another so that's just life for the uh hopefully the temporary um yeah, I've had a bunch of different assignments all with my same department, um, kind of what I'd call a mid-sized department. Uh, I got into peer support early on as kind of an extra hat, and that's a huge passion of mine. Um, got into short-term uh, field training officer, and I became a canine officer because I was 
you know, kind of the dream, especially being a younger patrol officer. I ran a dog until I promoted, and then I was a road sergeant for uh, about four years until I went to a small unit, which was uh, called Neighborhood Response Team. But, but, you know, a lot of cities have something like that, more directed emphasis. Um, you have more time and bandwidth or flexibility to deal with the problems, um, you know, connect with, you know, apartment managers and business owners and things like that, do a little bit of interfacing. Um, but yeah, so that's been the majority of my, uh, until, let's say, until I got into hiring, which is, you know, obviously the need these days in the last couple of years. Um, but that's my uh, professional side in a nutshell. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a lot in a, those 16 years. You got to do a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think we all know the the old, I was going to say old school. And I almost want to, I held back from saying old timer because I didn't yeah. want it to be, uh, you know, taken offensively. But I think some of them would recognize that as a loving term, old timer. But um, yeah. yeah, it used to be such that, um, you know, you get into a role, you 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 get, you know, you get really acclimated and proficient in patrol and that takes five plus years. And then you start to think about other things. You really specialize after that. And then most people would say, you know, you really shouldn't promote until 10 years or so, right? But um, the times are more crazy than ever. And yeah. I, I think it's pretty commonplace to have people in specialty units after just a couple of years. And um, it's just, we just got to be more dynamic. And that's part of the the trends that we're seeing in police. Um, yeah. So I, I think a lot about that and think about where we're going as a, as an industry, as a nation. Um, and that's, that's where I do a lot of my like kind of commentary and um, trying to put positive content out um, on social media, um, yeah. which has kind of a, become a hobby of mine in the last couple of years, especially facing what we've been experiencing in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I want to just kind of go back and touch on something you talked about. Uh, well, I'll go back to a couple of things, but one is that, you know, we're facing in the industry that we're having to promote people or put people into specialty positions very fast. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be really hard on the training department to do that. Yeah. And so uh, being the temporary training sergeant, like there's a lot of things that intersect there um, and every agency might be a little different, but um you know, we have one full-time training officer and we have a range master who's a retired cop. Um, and they are a wealth of experience, but they're two guys, right? And yeah. so for the department our size, um, their full-time gig was basically handling our mandatory trainings, a couple elective trainings, right? So our in-session quarterly or whatnot, um, qualifications, firearms, certifications, uh, and then another hat of mine being intersecting with our <laughs> defensive tactics team and then trying to inject that amongst everything else and staffing issues. And then, yeah, kind of like you're, you're alluding to is you have a ton of new people that need a lot more direct training and supervision and coordination. Um, but then you just need, I mean, that's ongoing, right? So that's past yeah. the training unit. That's, that's your, your supervisors, that's your senior officers. Everyone has to take a piece of the pie. Um, and that's what I'm trying to remind folks is that, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, there's always going to be an iteration or a new theme of what is challenging in police work. I mean, it has yeah. been as long as we've both been cops. Um, it's just, it seemingly develops into another stratosphere of challenging. Yeah. Um, but it's always been there, you know, like none of yeah. us really signed up because we wanted an easy gig. Um, yeah. But yeah, that'll be, that'll be on an entire agency. And 
the whole organization to make sure that everyone is dialed in to ensure success on every new officer. Right. And then let's throw with that amount of stress happening in a department and throw in peer support. Where does it, where does that fit in for you? Yeah. Peer support. So I talk about this a lot with uh, some of my peers and uh, one of my supervisors, mentors, but um, man, peer support is, I think it's like most things. It's as much or as little as you want to make it Um, on paper. You know, for us, it's literally just checking in on your buddies and your team. Um, We do facilitate critical stress debriefs. There's a couple of us that are trained to do that. Um, But those that are in peer support, I think, would mostly agree that it's so much more this the day-to-day innocuous kind of, it's the culture of peer support rather than the official hat or the official engagement. Um, I think peer support is so much more than uh, having your name or having it next to a few people's names in the department, but more just this culture of support. Um, the culture of socializing, talking about their issues and that, hey, I'm here for you. Um, the culture that we normalize the stress of the job and sharing that burden, not just taking it alone. Um, and then just destigmatizing a lot of the things um, that come with that, right? Whether it's recognizing that um, professional mental health is extremely beneficial for most yeah. people that try it, um, and then not just painting one, you know, painting everyone with a broad brush if you had one bad incident with um therapy and that's something that i've recently talked about in my fledgling podcast and uh something that i've written about several times and so it's just trying to encourage that kind of notion that um we've got to keep an open mind and allow peer support as a concept um even if you don't have an official policy or an official team in your your pd or organization but just allow that notion to hopefully foster um, just more positive engagement and uh, allow it to curb morale in a more beneficial, positive way. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your favorite part about peer support? I think my favorite part truly is just um, at this point in my career has been sharing, sharing some anecdote and seeing the, you can, you can actually see it on someone's face when they have a sense of relief or a sense of safety or a sense of, um, I guess that pressure valve releasing of, Hey, Sarge has been there. Like he, what he just said, like, that's where I'm at right now. Um, and just for me to say, Hey man, like I, I definitely lost some sleep over my non shootings. Right. Cause I've been in a police shooting, but I'll say I've lost a lot more sleep over the shooting that almost happened. Um, as opposed to, you know, the, the critical incident that we all, we all label or, um, you know, spotlight. Um, yeah. so just some, some personal recognition, uh, from shared personal experience and then seeing that there is a, uh, you know, a, a palpable and a visual cue that you, you see and feel when that weight is lifted off someone. Um, and then they open up and, um, I mean, that's a, that's a really powerful validation. Yeah. The power of vulnerability, right? Yeah. So, and, yeah, so uh, I'm an open book. So I, yeah. I try to, yeah, I figure like I, I luckily, I think through a, a, a number of things, maybe part training, part awareness and, um, and support for sure. Like my, my support systems, um, are really powerful and very effective for me. Um, but it's not perfect. Right. So a lot of people are like, Oh, Sarge is the, he's the health nut or, you know, the peer support touchy feely <laughs> guy and what could face him. He's crushing life. It's like, no, no, yeah. no. Like, 
I have my moments and I have my, uh, you know, my edges of burnout or all the things that we all experience. Um, just to say, even like I've been off the road largely for about a year and I'm still having dreams. You know, I'm still having, um, you know, your fight for life dreams and as crazy or unrealistic as they may be. Um, my mind still wanders to getting an engagement off duty and what that looks like, especially yeah. being off the street and whether I'm losing my, my streetness, as some say. So it's like, it, you know, it'll, it'll keep buzzing in your ear and kind of keep creeping back in and just to say, Hey, like, let's, let's give each other grace. Let's give ourselves grace. It's life. We'll take it one day at a time and, and we'll, uh, we'll manage all together. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, giving yourself grace is huge and, uh, doing that to others is, you know, just as important, just as important. Um, no matter how put together you are, I think you will still have those things where, you'll hear for whatever those thoughts or chatter or whatever that they're, they're going to be there. They're going to just come and go and how you deal with them. I think it becomes a lot better, right. Over time, about when you get your mental health uh, in the area that you, the place you want it to be, you get that more fine tuned that that chatter does not constantly ring there. And if it does, then you generally know how to deal with it. Yeah. And giving grace, um, just to speak a little bit more on that, I feel like, that has been a that's been a theme that's helped me through a lot of um, you know a lot of dips in this career, and it goes in a lot of different directions, right? I think that um, early on, I was pretty judgmental. I was young and pretty naive, as a lot of us are, to the ways of the world. Um, but I became pretty callous as a newer officer, um, very judgmental with suspects and people that were you know not living their lives in a certain way, and they're creating these problems for us, the police, or for themselves, or for their community, um, and just a lot of um, a lot of lack of connection and empathy, uh, because I didn't really know, right? But yeah. I, I recognized through, you know, maybe through more experience, and maybe through exposure to other people and, and concepts, it's just, hey, man, like, they didn't have the life that they had, that you had, um, and it's not to defer blame. I'm not trying to enable, like, a victim mentality. I'm yeah. just saying, hey, like, circumstances are what they are. Um, addicts and all that right there's a definitely a shift where you know young cop eric was telling people that they shouldn't be doing drugs which is just i mean how's anyone going to receive that <laughs> like it doesn't even work in high school right um yeah. so and then to the point where i remember um you know having conversations with you know someone in the backseat that you know ran from a stolen car fought us you know fought the canine and all that and just be, just connecting like a person just saying hey man like you know the they waive their rights and you're just, you're just having a conversation and I'll, and half of it's not even really investigatory, right? You're just yeah. trying to connect to me. Hey man, like I, I've never been to drug. I've never been addicted to drugs. I never tried them. Um, I wouldn't be surprised with the kind of addictive personality some cops have. Like if they tried them, like, man, it'd be a different story. Right. Yeah. And just saying, man, like I, I can't imagine what that's like to have that kind of a, a need for a fix. Um, but I know what it's like to not eat for, you know, 36, 40 hours. And I couldn't do anything but think about food. Yeah. And just like that little recognition, you know, I, just, I remember seeing like someone's eyes kind of light up. It's like, yeah, man, that's what's like, like, it's like not eating, you know, like, um, you know, intermittent fasting is a really popular thing right now. <laughs> yeah. But like, I got a buddy in my unit, he's like going like 15, 16 hours. And he's like, bro, my blood sugar, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, ah, like, that's just to make some sort of comparison where, yeah. hey, like, once, once we're not fighting, once we're not at odds with each other like how can we how can we connect and uh you know hopefully make something a little better for the future 
Yeah. I mean, cause that's going to really set the tone for the rest of your interaction with that person. And odds are you're probably going to interact with them again at some point. Yeah. If not me, then someone for sure. Right. Yeah. Some officer, this department or the other one, or they move out of the state. And if they're still on the fringes of the life, maybe they have acquaintances, right? Like you're going to keep interacting. And I mean, we've seen, we've all seen people that even if they're not criminal, they've had a terrible interaction or anecdote from their family about police. Yeah. And by having a chip on our shoulder, we only further that, right? I've, I've been in those chipping mat, you know, those kind of bark off matches of, you know, a, a, a battle of the wits and witty comments and, <laughs> you know, things that are just on the edge of, um, you know, unprofessional, or I'll just, I'll just say, I'll, you know, I'll admit a ton of things that are extremely unprofessional. I've said in my career, I'm not proud of them, right? Um, yeah. They came from a lack of control emotionally, lack of maturity, um, and just not seeing the bigger picture, right? I felt like I needed to maintain some sort of like respect level with these, um, let's say, I mean, I want to say punks, but let's just say like these <laughs> these people on the street that just want to chat, you know, chip at officers just sure. because. Yeah. Um, yeah. What does it, where does it get you? Right. And if anything, it just furthers their narrative um, for themselves. And then potentially just like the random person on the corner that might have been pretty net neutral about cops. And it's just like, man, that guy's kind of being a, that guy's kind of being a dick too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Well, I like that you can see that. Right. I mean, have that perspective, um, being able to, see that and work through that is incredibly important in, in your career, especially in law enforcement when you're engaging with people quite often and quite often, you know, it's, it's not the greatest engagements, right? They're having a bad day in their life or they're lying to you or who knows what, right? It's a lot of the narrative, the conversation and stuff that happens in that engagement is dependent upon you. Right. Yeah. It's, it takes two to tango. Right. And yeah. Um, it's not like I had like a mentor or senior officer pull me aside or anything, but, but when I take a step back and I realize maybe it's just getting older, maybe it's getting softer, but there's definitely officers that kind of were never that way. And they're navigating their careers. Maybe they've been 20, 25 years all on the street in a busy city and they come in with a smile on their face and you start to wonder, hopefully you start to observe and wonder like, Hey, like, what is that? What is that guy doing that he's thriving in this really stressful lifestyle and career? And it's, support systems, it's investment in health, relationships, but then also how they conduct the job, right? They yeah. don't take it personally because we all know what the other side looks like, right? You have these, um, I mean, now yeah. it could be a two-year cop that's super salty. Like I'm describing <laughs> myself at the time um, where everything was personal. Like you're running from me, you're lying from me. It's because you think you can get the edge on me and you, yeah. think that, you think that you're better than me. You think that you're better than these victims. Like, hey man, just like separate from that. Um, separate yourself from the outcome, just know that you can do the best you can with what you have. Um, and that's, I think that's been a theme that I try to put out with, with my younger guys and gals is that, Hey, there's, there's a lot that's going to happen in this career. That's completely out of your control. Um, suspects get a vote, right. And then yeah. policies get determined by people that aren't you and you can just do as you can do and navigate as you can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Let's touch you uh, touch on FTO because FTO can set the tone for your career, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And how your your mentor is is kind of might it really influence how you're going to be as an officer, for um, sure. And you you don't get to pick your FTO guy, right? So it no, might not yeah. just line up perfectly to 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 be the right person for that. 
But I mean, in your FTO, did you find that maybe like the tone was being set for you, like how to engage with other people? Mm. You know, if, uh, just going off what I was just talking about, I guess becoming like a really uh, cynical newer cop. It wasn't my FTOs, luckily, but it was like one of the first crews I was with, right? I was I was on night shift and the, the culture of that crew was just very, um, for lack of a better word, it was pretty toxic, right? Um, everyone was a shithead, quote. And um, and I just adopted that, right? I was really yeah. young and impressionable. And these guys are, you know, essentially my heroes, right? They're, they're out there crushing crime, chasing cars, um, catching people um all, excuse me all that right but um but a recognition that like that was not that mentality was not serving my life well um luckily i was able to bid to a different shift and truly one of the most toxic people i was with or by far um was actually a dude that you know got hired close to me so he was a, a younger guy and you know you're spending all your time with that person um that person didn't make probation and that probably was really beneficial for me and the people that we're working around, right? So um, I'm glad to say that, you know, that was years and the culture's definitely shifted. Um, you know, that crew isn't even as it exists today. You know, they're all doing different things or I've moved out of police work or promoted or or working in investigations and just, and I can think about separate people that, you know, the hard chargers were kind of mixed in with the negative people that supported the hard chargers, right? So it's just yeah. kind of a, a bleeding of things, but um it's good to say like, you know, that doesn't exist as it did then. Um, but you're right about FTO, right? You, yeah, you're, you're instructed to be a sponge and you should be, if you're gonna, if you're gonna learn, you're drinking from the fire hose, as we say. Yeah. Um, but I think an adage that we had, and I think it's pretty common with different agencies is that, you know, you're gonna pick a mix of your different field trainers you're exposed to. That's yeah. kind of a benefit of the model of having multiple trainers. Um, but I think, uh, you know, an adage of like leadership, and this is an example of that, but you tend to remember what not to do oftentimes from the leaders you're exposed <laughs> to or the lack of leadership you're exposed to, right? Yeah. And so those are good reps for you. And I think that as a new officer recruit, if you're cognizant to that, like, hey, if it's, if it's legal and um, moral, like, you know, follow along. But if it's not your way, like, you don't have to keep it. Um, yeah. You can find your own you know, method that's legal and moral and then keep that in the rear view or on the back burner of, uh, to inform how not to do things or how you prefer not to do things. And that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. You have to find your own identity and personality to be out there and dealing with people. I mean, what works for you because you don't share that same personality as, as other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like the introspection <clears throat> and then the awareness is really helpful as you, um, I think mentorship is huge and I think it's more important than ever. I look at my department, I look at, you know, talking to people on social media, the challenges of their department, like they're all the same, right? Whether it's a yeah. huge agency, a tiny agency, it's all, we have a lack of experience. And so we're going to curb that with mentorship and hands-on just, just caring, right? Yeah. Just caring about the, the craft and the people. Um, so really what it comes down to, I think, is that you just need to even if you're, if it's more passive mentorship, right? Like if I'm a, if I'm a young, young officer, or like, let's just say I'm mid career, I actually look for mentors and I'll seek out uh, feedback. But at the same time, a lot of it's more passive where I just see what different uh, officers and supervisors and leaders are doing toward the end of their career. And I look at the ones that are living life in this 
fruitful, positive way. And they've navigated their career in such a way that I want to emulate. And I just use yeah. it as an example, right? Um, they don't have to be telling me, hey, Tongue, you need to be doing this, that, and the other, or come to Jesus right this way. I'm just saying, like, I can look at the examples of things I want to avoid, uh, anecdotes, and I can look at things that I want to gravitate towards and just emulate that for my life. And certainly anyone at any point in their career can do that in whatever industry or whatever lifestyle. Yeah. So you talked about being an officer involved shooting. I mean, that had to be pretty tough in to go through in your career. I mean, how did that look like far as on getting through that, navigating through that in your career? Yeah. Um, so I talked about it in decent detail on, on a couple of podcasts. I'll, I'll just say in case anyone's listening and they want to tune into that, but um, on my own, but um, the off duty podcast, as well as uh, Ken Roy Ball's police applicant podcast. Uh, so I won't bore you all with all the details. I can get, I can get into it if you want. Um, but as far as your question, like how, what it was like going through, um, I think it was, I mean, it wasn't as stressful as it would be today. And for a number of reasons, um, when, uh, when we were, when we got in the shooting, the suspect drew a gun and fired first. And so that makes it a lot easier. It's super weird, probably verbiage and concepts for people outside of law enforcement. Yeah, right? maybe, but like, maybe, but yeah, oh, it's easier when they shoot first and they have a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because there are a ton of um, legally justified shootings where the person doesn't have a gun or doesn't have a real gun. Like we we understand this perception thing and and making a decision with what you have at the time um, that made it easier. Um, truly just being in an, a shooting with a couple other officers also made it easier. Right. I wasn't on this island where I was in the situation where like, man, did I mess up or did I not? It 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 kind of was instant validation that we all perceive the thing the same way, the same lethal threat the same way. Yeah. And so even though we couldn't talk about it, um, you know, under legal advice and just protocol, like I knew when I was off, you know, on, on, on my admin leave or whatnot, that I did what I had to do. And I felt, you know, I, I'm sure that that's an element that is trickier for some situations and some officers. Yeah. Um, and then going after that, uh, I know, you know, from my training and just experience, like we all react to traumas and stressors in such a multitude of ways. Um, for me, I had that. I'm high on life, right? Like I was, I was bouncing off the walls. I had this just, just everything was sunshine and rainbows. Like I get the second lease on life because in my shooting, there's a, a propane tank that got ruptured and ignited and this fireball kind of passed over me and a couple guys. Um, and I thought I was done. Like, I thought, like, game over, clocks punched, like, oh, like, I, I guess I did the best I could with, you know, yeah. 26 <laughs> or whatever years it was, you know, at the time. Um, and then so I felt like I had this huge lease on life, right? I feel like um, I had really good social circles. I, at that point in my career, I wasn't, you know, battling anything specifically, um, you know, my my life and my, my home life and my, my now wife, but girlfriend at the time, like things were just rosy. Right. And so I was able to kind of, um, I guess, monopolize on that in some ways, um, just with where my mindset was. Yeah. Um, so navigating wasn't too hard and I was, I was looking actively for the quote unquote triggers. Um, so that was, you know, going back to the scene on my time off and kicking some dirt around. And I was like well i guess that wasn't it no you know no quote unquote like ptsd flashbacks <laughs> yeah. right yeah um, yeah and then i uh remember kicking up the grill and like kind of joking with my uh 
my girlfriend at the time, right? And I was like, hey, I'm going to turn on the grill. If I start screaming, just come turn it off and, you know, pull me back inside. Right. Um, I just was looking for things that you hear about. Like I was looking, maybe the smell of propane or the mm-hmm. heat of the flame would bother me. Um, taking my canine and my canine um, was deployed on that on that call. You know, I thought that he had been basically blown up or shot up as well. And he wasn't um, super fortunately. And then, you know, trying to, as you do with the canine that's exposed to that, like you do stress introduction, right? So taking him back to the range, um, getting him introduced to gunfire, canine training, and that was all fine. Right. So he didn't overreact. He didn't underreact. And you're like, okay, cool. Everything's checking off. Right. Yeah. Um, but years down the line, I recognize that there's just kind of the, um, it's not one critical thing. It's not one specific trigger, but I think every time if, if I'm honest with myself, is that every time I got a dog call or every time I took him out and I put that clip, that lead onto his harness, there was just a higher level of vigilance, right? Yeah. And vigilance is healthy, right? It, it yeah. keeps us alive. It keeps us safe. But just to recognize that I was not a lackadaisical officer and I had, I maintained a pretty high level of hypervigilance and time on and time off, but recognizing that it shot up that much more, um, you know, even non-canine stuff. Like I, I can think specifically of like a traffic stop where they're doing the typical look around, finding a, a place to pull over. It's a couple blocks. You have to update your location a little bit more. Now you're going into the apartment complex in the middle of the night and your buddies hear it in your voice and so they start drifting your way because they're like, this guy's going to bail or he's going to fight. Yeah. Um, and then he starts digging in the glove box and then my, you know, my meter is off the charts, right? When I'm, as I'm making the approach, he starts doing that and I'm getting ready. But really it's just, someone suspended and wanted to park their car so it didn't get towed and they're just fumbling around for their insurance and all that. Um, I mean, I say insurance, their paperwork, they never yeah. Yeah. they're suspended. <laughs> um, not to be stereotypical, but yeah. let's just, let's be real. Um, but it wasn't that, right? It wasn't a lethal encounter. It wasn't confrontational. The dude was fine, right? But I was, I was pretty elevated because that was my experience, right? My experience is that yeah. if something's not going a certain way, you get ready for the ambush. Um, so I think, uh, I think it's, it's worth sharing that in that, you know, even though you don't, you may not have these, these typical stressors, um, or I guess, uh, triggers, you know, yeah. uh, emerge the way that you might expect there's, there's something somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how after something like that, you know, you don't kind of, elevate yourself you know right where you're like you're saying you're like think these things are starting to check off they're not quite right and then so you get elevated i think that's just that's just something normal that that happens but i'm sure after being in in a shooting that is even more like so more elevated yeah definitely definitely get your heart pounding and your thoughts going for sure yeah there's just a lot of a lot of little factors um and then, you know, for those wondering when I mentioned, you know, back then or in these circumstances, I mean, now um, it sucks that we have to we let race and, and color and these things permeate our decision making based on yeah. the circumstance, like in, in addition to the circumstance. Um, that's a common question. And this is not a political statement. Um, this is just just trying to um, have this conversation of transparency with whether people are in or out of police work listening to this, but if there's an officer involved shooting in my city or any other, one of the first questions people ask is what was the race of the suspect? Yeah. 
because they want to show up in such a way to be supportive and cognizant of some of these issues. Um, if you are, are you, if you're assigned like I was to our civil disturbance team, you know, kind of crowd control, you start thinking these things immediately, um, not even knowing the circumstance of the call. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, police shootings that happen are always justified. What I'm saying is that it sucks that we're in a world in an industry where you have to uh, consider all these risks without even knowing anything about the circumstance truly. Um, yeah. And so it was definitely a different time. Um, I think there would have been a lot more stress, but at the same time, even back then, even that many years ago, you know, people quickly were asking, Hey, what was the race of your suspect? And it was a white male. And so the, the cynical or realist or whatever you, however you want to put it said, okay, cool. No one's going to hear about it in the news. Your, your face isn't going to be in the papers. Yeah. Get a gun, all that. And it was kind of true. Like no one really heard about it. You know, even though we're just outside of Seattle and involved, you know, a handful of officers and this big explosion on a Sunday, you know, late morning while people are out there at the landscaping store, like, you know, buying bark and produce. Never yeah. really, never really uh, hit the uh, hit the media. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you're very grateful for that. I am. And I was also prepared for it. You know, there was a part of me and I don't know if this is uh, I don't know if this is a common thing with law enforcement, but it was almost like this, like bring it attitude. Right. Yeah. Um, I was like, this guy just tried to kill my buddy and us. And you could not have a cleaner shoot, as we say in the industry or a more justified sure. shoot. So like, let's 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 pick this apart. Let's Monday morning quarterback this. Right. Yeah. Um, and there was like a officer involved, like the headline with probably, I guess, Back then, of the you know, even we're still printing paper. It's probably about yay big. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was just like, hey, uh, you know, this this many officers involved in a shooting. Um, you know, suspect was killed in the gunfire. No names mentioned. I think they they updated it with like our years of service, but then we, they never released our names and um, well, not like it's it was not really a concern. But I guess what I was saying was like you just kind of get ready. And I don't know if that's yeah. just a uh, defense mechanism where you're ready to get scrutinized. So at yeah. a certain point you're like, okay, let's, let's go because you would prefer to be prepared mentally and emotionally than not. Yeah. 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 I can, I can totally, totally understand that. I mean, definitely there's scrutiny over seems like everything, um, whether it deserve, deserves it or not, unfortunately, um, yeah. in these, in these days. These are tough times, and I think that that's where um, work like you're doing on this, your your social media and your podcast, and I mean, really, that's the crux of a, a large portion of why I even started one and wanting to be, you know, public facing. And yeah. you know, it, the audience is a lot of cops and a lot of cop supporters, but you know, I still, you know, I still connect with people that aren't aren't police or people that just know me from you know my life prior to being a cop. And you know, a lot of times it is like, hey, like we just we need more cops like you. And that kind of prompted it too. I'm like, you don't yeah. even know, like there's a, there's so many guys and gals that are way better than me. Like they're just way better uh, investigators. They're more, more committed to the mission. They're, they're burning it on both ends. Um, they're just better people. I'd say like, I, I can think of a handful. I can count them off right now. There's <laughs> names and faces popping up in my mind, but yeah, I mean, it's like, I think just that narrative alone um, even someone that wants to be kind of supportive or just doesn't know many cops, it's just, hey, like let's let's help bridge that. Let's help just just 
be communicative and just stop creating this sense of other, right? Because yeah. that's what's going to drive us apart or has been. Yeah. Eric, when you like brought up like, you know, these five people that you can think that are better than you and stuff like that, did it, did like a little bit of you feel like an imposter syndrome? Like, are you familiar with that? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. I, my wife and I, my, my wife is a super, super sharp, sharp gal. We talk about imposter syndrome a lot. Um, yeah. I think that's something that, to be honest, I think that's uh, something that maybe navigated me to this career in a lot of ways um and then is has been a part of my career um not to like psychoanalyze myself but a, a lot of times people ask like why police work right yeah as a recruiter and hiring sergeant like it's quickly like why police work um and then giving people insight as to how to explore that for themselves um but yeah i didn't want to i don't want to be a police officer but i recognized that through my life i was looking for a stronger sense of male role models and connection and brotherhood and all these things that you know, when you when you fast forward, you're like, oh, okay, of course, a life of service, um, yeah. like police work, like firefighting, like military or whatnot. Um, so it makes sense, I think, if you were to look at, um, you know, what my motivators were and what, um, you know, what values I hold dear. Yeah, um, for sure. But but yeah, the imposter syndrome. I think for sure, there's this. Okay, can I can I make it? Um, I mean, that definitely contributes to a lot of things we're talking about in this episode was yeah. or this conversation, like being a new cop and trying to, you know, puff my chest and because, you know, respect is everything on the street. But truly, if, you know, I'm a 22 year old cop at the time and I look like I'm 17, you know, like <laughs> it is what it is. Right. But if I would yeah. just I wonder if I would have just let the chip on my shoulder go and just if people want to clown on me for being being a kid, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. I'm a new cop. All right. But I'm here for this. I need this. And if you want to, if you want to tangle, we could go there, but we could also just like, we can get along too. You know, if I just yeah. presented it like as it is, and maybe that just that transparency, maybe that would have built trust. Um, I like to think it would. Yeah. Yeah. It is a unique scenario, right? Looking so, looking so young and being out on the road, like you, you don't, get a lot of uh credit no definitely not <laughs> and i think that's that's worthwhile to to reflect on not to dissuade really young candidates um yeah there are some fantastic really young candidates but they are i would say they're um they're very special right they're not they're not numerous um yeah you know life experience goes a long way and just that sense of confidence that you get from doing things living life yeah. raising a family i mean that's Raising a family is way harder than being a cop, in <laughs> yeah. my humble opinion. Um, but yeah, even the sense of, um, forgot where I was going to go with that. But yeah, well, I just think like part of what I want to touch on was like, you know, being a young officer, like in, and not having a lot of life experiences, I would think that's probably makes it kind of difficult to deal with the public in certain areas because. Like if I've never been married and haven't had like a serious relationship and then I'm going on a domestic For violence sure. call, uh, what advice do I have? Yeah. To yeah. Because so much of um, being a police officer is just communicating. Right. Yeah. And to effectively communicate, you either need experience or insight. And uh, as a young person, you may have some um, or you may have what you've been told or what you've read in a book. And that's not yeah. the same. Um, so, yeah, that just quote unquote life experience. And I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of candidates that I've talked to recently, right? They get frustrated because 
maybe they didn't uh, score high enough in our process, but they got dis- disqualified from other ones. And usually it comes down to life experience, right? Yeah. Um, and I thought I had quite a bit at the time. You know, I, you know, I didn't have the, it was by no means like a terrible childhood, but I didn't have a, you know, a very, um, I guess, an ideal, you know, family circumstance yeah. growing up. Like I wasn't close to my dad, um, you know, hence like kind of what I was talking about before. And so there was that, but I was, you know, I wasn't the kid that got in trouble and I was pretty productive and pretty good in school. So, you know, I went to college and had brush-ins with crime, you know, like my car got broken a number of times and house got set on fire when I was in it um, in college. So, and then it was, you know, outside of Seattle or it was in Seattle. So even back then, like the, the drug problems and the mental health issues around, you know, student housing were crazy, you know, and just, you know, you, you'd walk as many people home, as many girls home as you could, just because it's sketchy neighborhoods back then. Um, and even more so now, right? So I didn't feel like as a young adult and, and such that I was really that sheltered. But even then, um, and I had good work experience, like I was doing the whole college, college painting business thing and hiring people and project management. And, um, you know, I was able to make some money doing that. But, um, but yeah, it didn't really trans translate into what you're talking about, right? I yeah. you know, didn't have any any real, um, real, real, real challenges, I guess, as far as interactions, right? And a lot of that, I think, growing comes from relationships and having hard relationships and having to work through yeah. that. And that's where I say, like, man, marriage <laughs> or like building a family or being a parent, it's way harder. Um, yeah, yeah. If you do it right, for sure. So definitely that. Um, I thought about what I was going to say. But oh, awesome. Was, yeah. Yeah, I was going back to being the young looking officer. And I got FTO in about four and a half years, which makes me like a dinosaur now. But like, <laughs> um, I mean, we have FTOs that are less time on now, uh, but that was pretty rare at the time. Uh, um, but I remember going to calls and, you know, do you do the final, do your department do the final phase where they're more in civilian clothes? They're um, like kind of like a shadow type of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't do it quite that, that way now, but we did at the time, you know, for final phase block four. And I had a couple um, students that, um, you know, I had one where uh, the witness or the victim asked if I was the student's son, uh, just sort of kind of watching and observing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At the same time, I was the field training officer and I got called the rookie. It's like, I don't want to talk to you, rookie. Get out of my face. I want to talk to this guy. And he's just the brand new cop. He just happens to be, you know, 32. And I was like, okay cool 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 yeah <laughs> maybe that yeah, hopefully that was a comment that because he maybe been squared away and he was doing his doing his job and he i, I think hope. it's just you know the <laughs> just the confidence and just how you present right and i was yeah you know you look like a kid and i don't know yeah um, yeah it's just part of it pers- yeah just quick judgment right that's people are, it just as a natural human instinct People look at other people and they judge them like they're, yeah. I mean, you can go to a whole nother level of that, sure, but sure. a quick instinct, you just look at people and you judge them like that. That's, yeah. that's just part of life. That's part of being human. Yeah, um, absolutely. Would, would love to hear people and they probably will say, you know, well, that's just not true. People don't look at each other people and judge them. You, you do in some way, yeah. some way, some manner you are, you're judging them. Yeah, it's bias. And I think that, you know, in policing, modern policing, we talk about bias, we have to be aware of it. It's not going to go away. We just need to make sure we're aware of it. And so we don't make misinformed decisions and make decisions off of it, right? Um, Or ill-informed decisions, right? At the same time, like, to notice um, behaviors, 
I think it's worthwhile to say this just so people don't, you know, put words in their mouth later, but like behaviors are what we're keying in on and making yeah. decisions as police officers. Like not what you're not what you're wearing or what you look like, but what you're doing could yeah. be suspicious and just recognizing that. And so allowing officers, new officers to say, hey, like you just need to articulate the behaviors and it's, it's not profiling if it's behaviors. Yeah. yeah. Um, if someone's angling away and putting their hands in their pockets when you ask them not to. That's suspicious. That's cause for concern. That's the first factor, right. whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great that you bring that up. Um, I want to go back to uh, peer support and how that kind yeah. of operates a little bit within your department because it's becoming a really big part of departments these days. And I want to throw an idea out at you since you're in training and stuff like that yeah. and had some experience with peer support. What are your thoughts of like when a new officer comes on and he's got his FTO, but then also like, hey, we're going to sign you someone from peer support too. Yeah. So during your FTO time, you'll, or whatever, like you'll have this peer support person that'll, it's going to check in on you. And then, you know, your FTO officers for something different. What, what do you think yeah. about that idea? I love it. Um where we went with that very recently because we have all these new hires, um, new recruits is that um, we, we made the decision to lean more in the experiential vein than the peer support. So we are assigning mentors and it's treated a little, I mean, there's, there's an assigned mentor on paper, but there's not much structure to it. You know, I don't want to over, no one needs anything and no one needs more things to be mandated to do right now, Uh, (laughs) but it's volunteer basis. Yeah. And the purpose is just, hey, like you might have um, someone that's coming straight out of the military and with a family. And if I can link them up ideally with someone uh, coming straight out that came out of the military yeah. with a family or a young kid, like if I can find those little similarities, um, then I'll then I'll go for it. But if not, if it's just kind of like someone that's eager, then cool. Um, and it's just that recognition of mentorship again. Right. Where yeah. it's it's all hands like we need to ensure success. It's not nowhere should it be the hey prove yourself and we'll be waiting here and oh we still can 60 percent of the people we hire okay well i mean when the generations get tougher then we'll we'll staff it up it's like no we <laughs> yeah. need to we need to meet them halfway yeah um, yeah so i do love the uh, the aspect of looking at it as peer support because then you do have some element of privilege um there's definitely some carryover where a lot of mentors you know of course they're volunteering so a lot of them yeah. are the the peer support types already that are right. um, already volunteering that capacity. So um, partially it just came down to having enough people um, and some people are still kind of double tap, but but it's cool because I see some people are leaning more into that role more than I ask, right? They're, they're really checking in, they're getting coffee and others are, maybe it's a text, but that text alone, just to have an outlet, right? Because you yeah. can't go to your, you may not want to, um, rightfully so, go to your FTO to ask some dumb question or the supervisor, but but if you have another officer, you know, that may work the, you know, the other shift and you can just pitch him some stuff or be like, hey, man, like, what was it like adjusting your hours and, you know, communicating that with your family and trying to figure that out? Like, just to have that commonality yeah. could be huge. Yeah. Setting them up for success, right? I mean, it's great to have a mentor no matter what you're doing in life and someone that can just, I, I see it as like speed up your success, right? Uh, yeah, you, absolutely. you don't have the opportunity to discuss things with a, another person kind of openly and casually, then I don't think you can speed up your success. Yeah. And I think that it also goes back to giving grace and just recognizing, right? Like, yeah. um, 
it's because I've been interacting with uh, prospective candidates and new hires that I am harkened back to being a new cop and being like, <laughs> I don't even know which way's up, right? And um, yeah. my take is this job's more complicated than it ever has been, right? It yeah. used to be, hey, do you have PC or not? All right, go grab that person. If they fight, then fight them. But now it's like, at least in my state, Washington, it's like, okay, what do you have probable cause for per uh, law? But then also, what will the prosecutors actually treat it as, you know, what will they get, right, sure. you know, held for? And if they don't, then is the juice worth the squeeze? What's the liability? Yeah. What's the level of crime? And if, it, if they're acting a certain way, will this be, you know, is it more likely than not it's going to be a knockdown drag out? Um, and then what do you what are you left with at the end of the day? Are you right. getting hurt? Are the suspect getting hurt? All these, and I'm not saying right or wrong, I'm just saying it is way more complicated, um, even to the point where in recent time, like last year, we um, weren't able to use force to detain anyone yeah. on reasonable suspicion, right? So that's pretty huge change of culture um, and even how to navigate your tactics, um, knowing that if someone doesn't want to stop, if you don't have probable cause, you got to let them walk um, or watch them until someone else can get probable cause talking to the victim or whatnot. Yeah. And so that's just a complete change in, in things. And so just to recognize like, Hey, one, this is way more complicated than ever. And two, um, let's not forget what it was like for you to be a new person, new officer. Uh, because I, I actually do enjoy sometimes reminding some of my buddies, some of my peers, <laughs> Hey, remember that call that you and I were on and we were like two <laughs> or three years on and we should have known better. you know, like, yeah, yeah. It, we all make mistakes. It becomes yeah. laughable, but now, you know, a new person makes a mistake and depending on your department culture, you may yeah. not, you may not be able to forgive them for it. And you're like, okay, yeah. what are the stand, like, let's be, let's be real. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Let's be real. Like it's, that's a tough uh, thing and vulnerable because if we're real or vulnerable, like we know we've made past mistakes. Like we, yeah. and we learn like the big thing is to learn from them. Right. And give the, Back again to grace, give the person the grace and the opportunity to learn from their mistake, because that'll help them kind of lock that in in their brain. And so maybe another time when they have that same opportunity, they're not going to make that same mistake. It's different if they're making it over and over for sure. Things yeah. aren't working. But I mean, there's a lot of times you make a mistake and you learn from it, like fell forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I like sharing. And I really appreciate <clears throat> the people that have set the example for me to share. Um, and that's what's kind of fun about social media is like being able to reach cops from different areas of the country and new people in you know, Canada, right? Like I can share a story and make fun of myself, whether it's in, you know, uh, not taking care of my sleep and what, what that caused for me and my career and my health, um, yeah. not prioritizing that or, or just, just dumb mistakes. Right. And hopefully that's, that's the point of wisdom, right? You will learn from the mistakes yeah. of others, not your own. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully it's not a waste. I can expand it out to help more people, um, whether it's whether it's avoid mistakes or just or perform better and more optimally in this career and this offer that just through my own experience, then then I'm down and, and it's a really cool opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Eric, like let's talk a little bit about your social media. Like, yeah. I mean, why I just wanted to know why'd you get it started and and what made you take the direction you took with it? Yeah. So what made me get started was going back to that comment, um, you know, after, you know, 2020 when George Floyd was killed, um, you know, we were all reeling, our heads were spinning. I had a lot of buddies leave, you know, with the political climate prior to that. 
um, close yeah. buddies leaving my department and you know neighboring departments just make the change right and no judgment and i'll say that all day long i say that recruitment things hey no judgment if you're if you put in five ten years two years whatever you put in thank you for your service i think that it's reasonable to look at law enforcement a lot like how we may look at military service right um, yeah. not a lot of people are going to be lifers and looking at generational trends it might be less reasonable to expect that um, but before i go too far down that road uh, it's the it's the writing on you know just on my own personal facebook when i reflected on uh, when george floyd was killed and what what we need to do as law enforcement how we need to step up and hold each other accountable and how you know it, it pains me to see this and see the nation hurting this way um, yeah. and talking about the riots and being on call and being you know in downtown seattle helping out you know one of my guys got hit by a rock and they aren't like it's it's the real stuff um you know i got a lot of that feedback saying hey like thank thank goodness we got guys you know we got a guy like you or we got people like you I'm, and that was the thing i was like man if you only knew right like sure we got deadbeat cops all over the place sprinkled in but yeah of course it's the the minority that make the mistakes that make us all look bad yeah. um we all have stereotypes of every job and the mess ups right you know your drunk pilot or your whatever right um teachers clergy like we know that and we know yeah. it's not true when we challenge it is that the majority no 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 it's like a fine like a tiny tiny percent yeah right yeah. but um just to recognize that and so it was largely just to have an outlet to to connect um you know help empathize with the badge at the same time to be honest i was saying okay if i didn't do police work like what would i do um and then that's my, my passion for fitness as a you know department trainer and i've always been into nutrition well not always since since figuring out what wasn't working in my career <laughs> you know trying to be a canine trying to be healthy and fit yeah and, um sleep and i've done a lot of self-experimentation and such with that so okay where can i put this all together and maybe be a coach and maybe all this but if you track back my my instagram blue grit wellness uh it starts a lot more fitness based and then it kind of moves with me as my career right so it became yeah. a lot more interfacing engagement because i was in the community engagement unit um and that bled right into my mantra of how to approach recruiting which is it's it's a lot less uh the traditional recruiting hey i'll be out here no just be everywhere and be approachable um, yeah. There's always going to be someone somewhere that might be interested or learning more. Um, just be transparent, be available, um, be at different events, whether you're even trying to actively recruit or not. Someone's going to have a buddy or a family member or a kid, right? Um, yeah. So so that's what's caused me to kind of shift my content because it's just whatever I'm thinking about, you know, for 40 to 60 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it went community engagement, <laughs> um, humanizing, and then went to recruiting. And so that's still very much part of my life is commenting and sharing, you know, news articles, but also insight and commentary that help people get hired or just give them interview tips, um, things that that I had to learn, you know, trial by fire, right? Again, yeah. whether it's nutrition or um, or hiring interview stuff, it's just trying to be a resource uh, for whatever the need is, and that need is continuing to evolve as I see, and uh, even yeah. commenting on training, right? So um, now that I'm wearing the training role is it's a lot more of my my purview and so at the end of the day it's just hoping that it provides a resource to help people especially in the job because it is specialized um but outside of the job as well right if there's lessons yeah. from my life or my my experiences and my friends and that i've seen that can help you live more optimally 
then I just want to put that out and try to cr- create that positive environment. Yeah. Yeah. Eric's social media is, is really great. Um, that's how I connected with Eric and, uh, I thought it was inspirational and educational and, um, fun and funny at times. And, you know, it's, it's a good, you have a good mix of things going on to keep people engaged and a, a good resource. Um, where else can people reach you, Eric? Yeah. Thank you, man. Um, so yeah, the Instagram is my most active. It's blue grit wellness, um, bluegritwellness.com for the blog, which I'm trying to kind of went on sleeper mode, but it, I'm trying to pick that up. So it's, there's been some recent posts. You can subscribe there. And then Blue Grit Radio is my newest little project. So that's my podcast. Um, and so it's it's been cool to connect with podcasters such as yourself that have been at it a, a bit longer. Um, but yeah, just to give people a different format, a different voice. And yeah, I mean, obviously talking about the things we talked about today and in roughly an hour is, is a lot more dynamic and engaging than us writing about it for, <laughs> yeah. um, for the most part. Totally, totally agree with you. Eric, it's been a great pleasure having you on today. Um, as usual, I learned so much uh, from every guest and there's some great takeaways. Uh, I've, I love seeing the more approach, the better approach of looking at ourselves with some grace um, be, because we're not perfect and nobody around us is perfect. And generally no. the people who are judging us to be less perfect than they are the are the ones struggling harder than we are. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Just do your best. And what I say to like my my recruits and candidates is just stay hungry, stay humble. Yeah. And that's going to get you most of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again, Eric. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jerry. It's a good time. Yeah. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you access your podcast. If you know someone that would be great on the show, please get a hold of our host, Jerry Dean Lund, through the Instagram handles at Jerry Fire and Fuel or at Enduring the Badge Podcast. Also, by visiting the show's website, EnduringTheBadgePodcast.com for additional methods of contact and up-to-date information regarding the show. Remember, the views and opinions expressed during the show solely represent those of our host and the current episode's guests.